Now what I'm thinking more as is like building in maybe a little bit of redundancy. So when someone leaves, like it doesn't really affect the, the um, organization. Um, but uh, also just like not taking it so personally and saying, hey, this is part of the process. And uh, each time someone leaves, we get like two, three more people that actually stay on and are better yeah. and, and are a better fit. Welcome girls to the Get Up Girl podcast, where we are making you live your fullest and fun life. My name is Joanna Vargas, and every week I will pour into you with my stories, tools, and fun radical candor. I believe that when you ask better questions, up-level your habits, and get freaking real, you will have a happier life. If you're looking for more fun, more magic, and more joy, you're my girl. This one's for you. Are you ready? Let's create your dream life. Hello, gals and my gentlemen. Welcome back to the Get Up Girl podcast. I'm really excited. I am excited because I have my first gentleman today. And hello, hello. Um, I, yes, I have Samuel Donner. Now, he is the creator of the Finding Founders podcast. And I'm always laughing because you have to say that a couple times. That's a fun <laughs> twister. And you have had your podcast for two years now. I was just reading a post on your uh, Instagram page about, I think the biggest thing about having a podcast is consistency, mm -hmm. right? And really showing up. But um, before all this, we were talking about some things about how to get back up. So before we get into that, Samuel, Give us a little context about how you got into creating this podcast and how you got into entrepreneurship. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I've kind of like always been surrounded by creativity and, and entrepreneurship. Um, but I think, you know, when I, I really got into it when I was at UCLA. So I was studying mechanical engineering and really not liking it. And <laughs> I discovered that, uh, I, I really enjoyed making videos. And so I, I started just making videos on like on YouTube, posting them just casually. And then eventually I got like a media scholarship to study abroad in Australia. And that was kind of like, oh, like I can do stuff creative and like a creative things and, and projects and maybe get a little paid for it. And then I started doing freelance video, eventually worked up to a contract with Netflix. And that was like a, uh, a I guess, a realization like, okay, I actually can make money doing well, a creative field. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so, but like I, I enjoyed video, but I wanted to apply those editing skills that I've been learning to a different medium, a medium that was new and that was growing. And I had discovered podcasts like, you know, a couple, like a, a few years before and realized I really enjoyed listening to those. I'm like, well, what if I applied these newfound editing skills to podcasting? Mm -hmm. And so I started out just interviewing my roommates uh, who were all like entrepreneurial and, okay. uh, and, and those turned out really well. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see how like, okay, how can I maybe level up the, the person that I'm interviewing? And so I racked my brain actually to a point two years before where I was listening to this podcast called Startup. And the second season is about, it's a Gimlet podcast and it's basically just about business. And the second season is about the founder of American Apparel. And uh, I was listening to it and there's this throwaway line where the, the, uh, the host that, that's, that's, that's doing the show is like, this guy is always answers his phone. And I'm like, oh, there's no way he always answers his phone. And so I find his number online, do a little bit of sleuthing. I call him up yes. and then it's like ringing. 
And then he answers. And I'm like, no. wait, oh, I was not prepared for it at all. Uh, and I was like a sophomore at the time. Were and so I'm like, oh, can I have this? like an internship? You were recording this with the camera. I wasn't. I wasn't because unfortunately I wasn't doing podcast stuff at that time. <laughs> okay. But I did remember that conversation that I had with him. And I also was keeping in contact with him throughout um, the next couple couple years. And so when I thought, okay, who should I interview next? I texted Dove. Um, and, uh, and so after that interview, like it went super well, it was very, very interesting. And after that interview, I, I feel like I could reach out to anyone and, um, and talk to them. And so from there, we interviewed the founder of Soylent, Ease, we just did Masterclass, wow. we did Dave Asprey recently. Um, we've expanded the team from initially just me to 10 people to 20, now we're around 35 and doing recruitment. That. Yeah. And then, people. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's grown quite a bit, and now we do also live events, which we have a live event actually coming up tonight on biohacking. Um, we do we develop IP for TV, so like we create podcasts that we sell to like Amazon, Netflix, stuff like that. Um, and uh, and then we are are doing our own series within Finding Founders. We did interviews in Puerto Rico recently. Um, yeah. We're doing a series on drug dealers, and then we're also doing a series on LSD, uh, the finding uh, the founding fathers of LSD, um, what? which well, should the be really creators of LSD. What do you mean? So like some of the well, one of the people that we talked to, this guy named Douglas George, uh, was one of the first people to synthesize uh lsd and distribute it and so he turned wow. on owsley who is like a uh, a really big figure in the um in the uh, lsd community in the psychedelic community and then like you know he he did acid with the beatles and the grateful dead and because he's old he's old he's that like was gonna say 80s 80s yeah 80 something yeah. how amazing is that okay well Two things, but I want to go back to the biohacking because I am completely into biohacking this okay. is my last two years because I have uh, the virus Epstein-Barr virus mm. and, uh, you know, it lives in the body forever and it just kind of like will be dormant. It's similar to like lupus and things like in those families, right? So I have to continually do stuff all the time. So what is it that you're doing with the biohacking? So we're putting on, we, we've done a couple interviews with uh, some biohackers. One of our first ones was um, this guy, Mac Davis, who is essentially creating a company around immortality um, and trying wow. to find some of the secrets of that. Uh, and he actually just texted me today. I think he, uh, he, he, he might be closing in on a, a round of funding from a very well-known person uh, within the immortality-seeking uh, community. Uh, but he, um, so I, I did an interview with him and really like was super interested in that whole, whole world. He is, he, he's working with folostatin, which basically is like you inject it and it changes, uh, the simplified version is it changes your genes to allow you to grow muscle mass better, um, and faster. And then also that leads to longevity. Um, and so that was my entrance into it. And then we decided uh, after doing an interview with Dave Asprey, who's the founder of Bulletproof Coffee, who also has a yeah. very uh, interesting undercurrent of, of immortality research. We decided, oh, let's wow. do an event really? around immortality. Um, and so we invited a couple friends at the podcast. We invited uh, this woman, Liz Parrish, who's doing, um, she's doing like medical tourism for, mm -hmm. um, for like 
non-FDA approved drugs and therapies mm -hmm. that do life extension. So she'll go to another country and say, hey, this human testing work is working over here. Let's bring it back to the States. And then we're also doing, uh, we're also having Michelle Poulain, who is the creator of the term and, and he did the founding research on Blue Zones, which are the uh, uh, places around the world of, of the, the largest concentration of centurions. So basically people who live to over a hundred. Um, and we're just discovering like, hey, like, what does it take yeah. to live longer? And yeah. then how can we, um, what are, what are some uh, methods and uh, maybe some new, uh, some new research that, that's been coming out that we can mm -hmm. apply to our own lives uh, that can help with longevity? Yeah, right now I'm doing ozone IVs where they take the blood out and then they oxygenize it and then put it back in your body, you know, things like that. I would love to have an oxygen chamber. Like, How is that? <laughs> it's interesting. It takes about an hour you know, and they take out your blood and the blood is very dark. It's like purple. And then they'll mm -hmm. go in and they churn it. And then they, as it churns, it comes back and it's like really red. Hmm. And then it goes back in your body. Now it's pretty pricey. So I do it once a month, but you know, JLo, people of that nature, they will do this weekly, you know? Is and that similar to like what doping, like, like with, with uh, like cyclists where they would like take out their blood and like freeze it and then like inject it later? Probably the same. Yes. Okay. Because I guess it's like sperm. You're taking it out. It's the younger blood. You freeze it. I don't yeah. know. But and then so the more often you do it, Samuel, the blood will be red more often. So if mm. you take out your blood and it's more purple, then that tells you that it's not oxygenized, that you're pretty much like, you know, frailing. But the more you do this and the first time when the blood comes out and it's more red, then you're like, you know, you're going to be feeling better. Interesting. Are you noticing the effects? I've only done it once. I haven't <laughs> okay. done it this week, but again, so now I'm going to be doing it monthly for this whole year. So like mm -hmm. I bought a whole package. So we're going to see now when I did it that time. Yeah, I did feel better because I was dropping a little bit, but I do monthly shots. I do all mm -hmm. kinds of other IVs, you know, so. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But one thing with biohacking, it is pretty pricey, meaning like you got to have some money. Like, I don't know if you've watched Justin's Beaver's uh, he has lupus and things like that, but he has an oxygen chamber in his house. Hmm. He just is like a Mr. Biohacker. And he says, he's like, yeah, this is not cheap. You know, but yeah, I think that's actually something that uh, one of the people we were, we're talking to, um, they're, they're trying to address because they don't want longevity just to be isolated to the rich. wealthy. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's a really big problem. That's going to come around the corner pretty soon yeah. as, uh, these longevity medicines get better and better. And like, like these treatments get better and better. There's just going to be like really rich people living, you know, hundreds of years. <laughs> and then all of us, uh, poor people are kind of just going to be doomed to die early. Um, and so how they're trying to structure that is one of these guys, it creates these, uh, this pod it's a, um, it basically oxygenates uh, the the body through um, nano bubbles, and uh, these pods are like eighty thousand dollars, right? Whoa. But you can buy portions of it, and then if you buy a portion of it, you can still like utilize some aspects of the device. Um, but you also have stock and like equity in the company. Okay. And so he's trying to structure it in a way that. Um, you're buying into this vision of the future and you have stake in, in that future. Um, and thus, because it's maybe a little bit, I guess uh, he, he uses the term like decentralized, like a decentralized business model, because it's a little bit more decentralized, maybe it won't be just in the hands of, of the wealthy. Yeah. Um, and so company structures like that, I think can be pretty interesting to, to play on. I really like that structure. So like a pod, but you just won't have it at your house. 
you're gonna have you to can to buy it. the whole thing at your house but yeah, it costs eighty thousand dollars yeah. <laughs> but you could buy parts of it that will offer like benefits for maybe just parts of your body so like you know just uh using it for your hand mm -hmm. or, or just like you know smaller sections interesting well i'm hopeful for the future because i remember in the 80s when michael jackson used to do this and they thought he was crazy that's <laughs> crazy right and now it's so normal like oh yeah i have an oxygen chamber in my house yeah, I, I think it's definitely coming into the mainstream, but people yeah. still think it's weird. Like Dave Asprey has all these <laughs> odd uh, methods and, and rituals that he does. And people still think like, oh, like that's kind of weird. Like he wears like these like certain sunglasses and he does like the infrared uh, yeah. bathing or, or saunas yes, and, and all that. Yes. Right. Um, and, and some people I think still think it, it's still a little fringe, but I think yeah. that that's usually yeah. what like the cutting edge looks like. Okay, last thing on this thing, because I'm just so intrigued by it. Have you noticed anything else besides these big apparatuses? For example, laughing more or having more sex that people are living longer? Um, I mean, really, like, and this goes back to the Blue Zone guy um, that we're, we were talking about. He's going to be the last speaker uh, at the event tonight. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, he was talking about, like, so what, what he did is he essentially traveled the world and looked for the places with the oldest people and, okay. and talk to them and, and track their diets and, and their act, like physical activity. Um, and, and some of it, it, it's really like simple advice, but, um, yeah. uh, but like a, a lot of it comes down to diet. So eating, eating things that are natural to the environment. So like not eating strawberries year round, because that is unnatural, like only eating things that are seasonally and also mm -hmm. starting early. Like if you're, you can't decide to be, to live to a hundred years old That's when it. you're 50 or 60, <laughs> right? Yeah. It has to start as early as possible. And then you have a, a greater chance of doing that. Also like natural movement. So so, um, uh, you know, not, not sitting in a car standing, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's really, it's like it, the, the thing that's interesting is there's this very, um, there's like these two sides of, of biohacking. There's the almost, I, I don't want to use the word or extremist, but I'll use it just for lack of a better word, but like the extremists that are like, okay, like let's how, see how we can push the body and yeah. let's experiment as much as possible. And then there's people who come from academia that have been studying longevity, like, uh, Michelle and like he's he's looking at these these old older people and saying hey like the the secrets to longevity are not really secrets it's like yeah. move naturally be like exercise it's eat natural ingredients eat from your your surrounding area and don't have stress and just like love more because mm -hmm. uh uh the, the people that are the most like loving and caring in those communities are the, also the ones that live the longest um, so it's, it's these two like, uh, opposing yeah. sides or not opposing sides, but uh, on a spectrum of like how one can live longer. There's the, all these, these new therapies that are coming out. And then there's the ancient wisdom that's yes. just been, uh, been just, just like, this is how you, the human body should, should operate. I really like that because just last week I was journaling and I never hit me before. That was the first time I thought I would like to live to be three digits where I never really thought that before, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like out and now I'm going, like you said, start early. So that's yeah. been in my world lately. Thank you for that conversation. Okay. Now let's go back to the 30 in your team. Cause that is phenomenal and not all, you know, one space. Now there was one time you said that somebody left your organization and mm -hmm. was that person pretty close to you? And then how did they leave? Cause I've had, yeah, that so I, I, 
a bunch of people like there there has been there has been churn but like i i think um initially uh when i was starting out it was like a a, a solid group of like five six people right Uh and there was someone who had started from the beginning that was like was the editor that basically like you know was was the first person i brought on the project and um we worked super closely we felt he was someone who helped build out like the initial uh beginnings of that team and when he like eventually like it kind of almost kind of suddenly he's like hey like 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 this this isn't i i want to he wanted to pursue more video stuff and like this doesn't like quite align with um with what i want to do in life and initially i'm like dang like what did i do wrong like was i not creating an environment that fostered uh enough um enough value and fostered mm-hmm. like what this like like the education and 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 what this person wanted and fun and all that right um and so the first like couple people that would leave i would always have that conversation with myself thinking what did i do wrong um and maybe it's just just like the the amount of times that it's happened that i've been desensitized but i think it's also like the self talk that um i'm i'm starting to have with myself it's like it's it, when people leave, it's actually a good thing. Cause you're, you, what you're doing and, and especially if you have like, I think a, um, an intense culture like we do, like that, that really values like really good work and, and accountability. Um, it like, like that, that intense culture act, act, acts as a natural filter. And so the people mm-hmm. that are uh, subscribed to those values and, and adhere to, um, uh, that vision and, and want to see that vision succeed are, are the people that you want to keep. And anyone that doesn't like, like the actually harsher that environment is for, for mm-hmm. the people that, that don't fit that. And the quicker they leave, the better it is for your organization. And so now what I'm thinking more as is like building in maybe a little bit of redundancy. So when someone leaves, like it doesn't really affect the, the, um, organization. Um, but, uh, also just like, not taking it so personally and saying, Hey, this is part of the process. And, uh, each time someone leaves, we get like two, three more people that actually stay on and are better yeah. and, and are a better fit. And so that, that, that's, that's a, like the, the twist that I I've been trying to, uh, uh adopt more recently. And I, and I think it's, I think successfully so like, it, right. Not like we actually had a person leave yesterday. Right. And uh, it doesn't phase me anymore. I'm like, OK, mm-hmm. that's fine. Like, all right, let, we have a two week transition period. Let's get the next person in there um, and then we'll do another round of recruitment. And it's like it's all part of the process. And we are actually pumping out more content, doing more events, doing more work uh, than ever before. Mm-hmm. I could so relate because, you know, being a business owner for over 20 years and the first couple that left because we were so tight mm-hmm. and really become like a family. And I took it personally. It's just like you said, like, what did I do wrong? It's almost like a boyfriend that's leaving me, like, <laughs> like a divorce, right? Yeah. What did I do? And I feel like I could have changed it. And just like you said, somebody will come in that's better. For your culture, Samuel, do you have your core values and are they written out or anywhere for them to see? I mean, we do kind of have um, a manifesto, but really what it comes down to is like accountability. Um, and like accountability, I think like spreads to a bunch of, a bunch of things like accountability to yourself, to your team members. Um, and like each person is just so integral into the process. Like we don't, we don't have no one, no one in the, like no one in the company is like not doing it like anything. And each, uh, and also each, each part of uh, each person is very interdependent on each other. Okay. And so I think what that does is that accountability creates value with, within that individual. Like they know that their work is important because if they don't do it, 
then it it can it can screw a lot of things up, right? Um, and so like they know they know that there's value, and I think accountability is one of those those values that I, I I've really tried to um, to drive home, and I think I think we're doing a pretty good job at that. Um, and uh, and 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 like uh, obviously there there's others and like work ethic, and and I think there's a lot of empathy within the organization, and a lot of yes and with ideas Ooh, rather that. than like oh no that idea is stupid. I usually it's uh, uh we we feed off um each other's energy there's a lot of ownership over projects usually people will we actually have a fund that um for people to try out new projects so it's like hey like i want to learn i want to learn how to animate and i'm like cool all right well, let's let's try doing some animation videos here's here's some money towards that that project or i want to learn how to do design and make some stickers to do some like guerrilla marketing around different like like school campuses or around uh -huh. neighborhoods and i'm like yeah that sounds fun here's some money to, to learn how to do that and and actually um enact that uh or like most recently that once someone wanted to learn how to use facebook ads and i'm like mm -hmm. sure like here here's someone in the team that knows a little bit more about it pair up with them and here's a budget to explore that idea wow um and so i think that like the ownership the accountability the empathy all ties together into a into what what we've really built um and and it's awesome to work with I love that. Did you, Samuel, set that up on purpose where the accountability, for example, there's not a bunch of different lanes, like they have to work together. Was that intentional? I mean, like, yes, but I, I don't think I initially thought of it like that. I just, I, I, I think I just knew I wanted everyone to feel valuable and to make like, to also just to have a, a, a production process that is churning out content like weekly, you have to have this, this, uh, assembly line, uh, uh, kind of going on. Yeah. And so at any one time we're, cause we release two episodes a week, um, at any one time we're working on between like eight and 12 episodes, right. Uh, um, but between the team and, uh, and because we have that assembly line process, like each member is dependent on the previous person in the, that assembly line to, to, uh, finish their work. Um, and so like, I think it came, came out of necessity. And I also think that's like how I like to operate too. So I, I imagine a little bit of my personality is infused into that process. Got it. I kind of think of like the cartoons when they, they pass the little thing, like oh, yeah. <laughs> goes across. Yeah. And if one stops, then it kind of gets that assembly line. I really like that. I'm thinking as you're talking for, entrepreneurs that are out there listening, Samuel, or somebody that's like, I want to start a side gig or something of that nature, but they're afraid to hire. What's something that you would tell them? I I would say like, figure out the process yourself and don't hide. I, I like what I've always done is I try to understand as much as I can about all my processes and then hire when I get overwhelmed. Yeah. And so like, like, for example, we're working on this, um, this podcast for TV right now and we're trying to finish it up. And so we like, we've written out scripts, we've edited it a bunch, but I'm realizing, okay, like if I want to finish on deadline, I need to hire a couple more people. And so we recently brought on two more people to the project. Um, just because like, I know each part of the process, I know how to put this together, but I just need, I just need more help. And so I think especially for like newer entrepreneurs, um, having an understanding of that process first, and then hiring once you are like once you're overwhelmed um, is it, it has been my philosophy, and I think it's allowed us to expand a lot, and also has uh, has made has ensured that I don't have too many blind spots because when if you just hire out without understanding what that process is, you can easily uh, 
realize like, okay, wait, I actually maybe didn't need that. Or you can get screwed over in yeah. uh, pricing or yeah. you can like, or you can just realize, oh wait, that's actually not good work. Like you, you need to know that one of the most important things I think leading a team is like, what is good work and what is bad work? And mm -hmm. if you don't know what that is, um, you're not going to be able to direct people and you're not going to be able to hire and fire well. Yes, yes, 10x, yes. <laughs> How many organizations have I been in, like a volunteer? So they'll say, oh, we need Facebook ads or whatever. So they hire somebody just because that person has on their card Facebook ad manager. That doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, you hired this person? You're paying this person? Well, yeah, aren't they doing the job? I'm like, but just like you said, understand a little bit. That's how I work. I got to just understand it first and then I can hire out. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't need to know it perfectly. I just got to know something because I can't yeah. hire this person if I don't kind of get the job a little bit. Yes, yes, yes. And also oh. as your organization grows, you can delegate the responsibility of knowing what that is to other people. So like you just, you need to be, build a network of trust. So like, for example, we have an outreaching community person that I don't understand. Like I trust, I, like initially when, when we had her on, like, I trusted that she, she, like I knew how to do a little bit of like what, what she was doing, but then she, her, her job has expanded and, and she's learned a lot uh, there too. But when she gets overwhelmed, she's going to have to like hire out, but I don't necessarily need to know how to do everything that she's doing now because there was an initial bridge of trust between us. Yes. Um, and so that's just how it grows. So eventually as your organization grows, you don't have to know everything. Yeah. Um, but the start for the starting uh, parts and the starting points, I think, I think it's pretty important to, to know a little. Kind of reminds me of my parents growing up. Like they didn't know everything I did, but their nose was in it. And they're like, I'm watching you. I know, I know I'm not stupid, you know? And I like, I knew I couldn't lie to them. It's almost, you know, but, but my parents trusted me. I trust yeah. you. You're going to go out there. I trust you. You're going to make wise choices. And that's how I see when I hire people as well. How long have you owned your business? Uh, we've been running for like about two years. Yeah. God, that is so great for two years. What's the biggest takeaway or the biggest learn? Um, I think like a, a big one is just consistency. Uh, I think how it started out for me is uh, and also just not, not, not just like consistency in, in like a, the nebulous form, but, but building processes in which consistency can thrive. Um, when I was initially starting out and then this was before we, we, we delved into monetization. This was just when I was like editing a podcast, it was really, uh, uh, inconsistent just because I would, I would feel like as a creative, I would have to wait until inspiration hit to, to edit. And that is a terrible way to go about to do consistency. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like what I learned is, all right, how, how can I build consistency? Well, first for myself, right, make a schedule. Um, so that, that was that first point, but even that you can be like, oh, like who's going to care if I don't, uh, if I don't actually enact this schedule, cause it's just me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I, something that helped and something I, I think I actually, I, I really enjoy, um, is, is just working with other people. And if I'm working with other people, not only will I join the process more, but I'll also be uh, having someone holding me accountable. And so really quickly I brought people onto the project and those people were like, okay, like, like if I don't get my work done, they don't, they can't do their work. Yeah. And so that, that's like the kick in the ass that you need to actually finish what, what you need to finish. So other people can finish what they need to finish. And I think that's kind of where that assembly line process came from is a need to provide parameters for consistency. I completely agree because I hire people that have the skills that I don't have and I give them permission. <laughs> Tell me because I'm such a visionary and I will get out 
out there and you got to bring me back in and have me do my zone of genius and you do your zone of genius. I don't know if you've read the book, The Big Leap, but he talks about, you know, the zone of genius. Yeah. Oh, what is your zone of genius then, Samuel? Like you're the thing that you do the best out of the whole organization. Yeah, I'll touch on that in a second, but I just realized you're wearing a bulletproof coffee shirt well, <laughs> or a bulletproof mindset. mindset. Oh, okay. Close, very close. Is that yeah. is that Dave Asprey or is that something no, this completely is mine. different? Oh, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Bulletproof all the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think like where I I really um, shine is I think understanding how people want to grow and learn. Um, and I, something that I, you know, I was actually talking to one of our, our editors about is like, what's the vision that you want for your future? And then how can I, and then like asking myself after I hear that answer, how can I best, uh, enact that vision for you? Like, well, how can I help you do that? And so I think like, I, I, I'm really good at aligning incentives. Mm-hmm. So like, obviously I, I want people to do work with in the organization, but people don't do good work unless, um, unless they can see something in, in a, some, some way there in which they're going to grow or achieve mm-hmm. their dreams. And so I try to understand and like really, really understand what are, what are the, like my, my team's goals and then how can I align my personal goals um, with theirs? And then that's like rocket fuel for mm-hmm. people. Like if you can find that alignment, you're going to have people that are going to perform like two times, three times, 10 times better. If you were just saying, do your job and, and do it well. It's almost like they're in a dark room and they can't see the light or where the light switch is. And they're like, we don't know where we're going. Those were some big mistakes that I made. I never mm-hmm. gave them an end because I was like so old school of like, you know, just do your work like you said. Okay. When it comes to business, Samuel, what is the one thing that you've learned working with employees besides what you just said? Because this is the thing that intrigues me. I'm like a high functioning introvert right? Mm. As a leader. So I do better when I'm by myself, right? So anybody else listening like that, it seems like you love a team, right? Uh, What's the one thing that you've learned working with employees besides what you just said? Because I would love to take notes on that. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it kind of of would go back to um, probably like accountability and ownership. But um, more than that, I think it's like, like there, there can be a need for people who are in positions of leadership to feel like they have to own every part of the process or have their nose dug into every part of the process. Mm. Um, and it's important to give, give, um, a little bit of like leeway for people to explore, uh, and not say like, like, this is exactly how you should do everything that you need to do. Uh, and an example of this is, uh, we, we, we do social posts and we have a a design, a, a design team. And I was like, blown away where I said like, Hey, like this is like, here's some general parameters for this asset that we want to create. Um, but like, please feel free to make it your own. And, and like just allowing that, that, um, departure from, or a slight departure, or I guess room to explore within a given task or a, within a given project, people will infuse their, their own creativity and their own vision into it. And again, like that's where that, those the aligned, aligned incentives come in again, because like, you have someone that's pouring part of themselves into into this project and then it just makes everything better and then it also will will probably lead to things that you didn't even imagine were possible like yeah. another example is uh we've been exploring clubhouse a lot 
And one of the one of the team members was tasked with exploring what we could do there. And she came up with amazing, amazing ideas because there were loose parameters given. Um, and there was trust that even though the parameters were loose, uh, she she would find she would find like her way within those and actually explore um, more productively. Um, and so you can't give that to everyone. Like you you have to really look at look mm -hmm. at people and say like who needs strong parameters and who doesn't. But okay. if you notice that people like like I think you what you start is you start mm -hmm. with strong parameters and eventually you loosen them up and loosen them up as as that that bond and that trust builds. Um, and so I guess to to summarize is. Start with strong parameters and then loosen them up so people can infuse their identity into projects and tasks um, and, and then just create better work. That's really helpful. Okay. When you give somebody something to explore with that one girl that you said with Clubhouse, what is something that you tell her or how many hours or days and then you say, come back to me with ideas or you say, come back to me with already like an SOP you know, those operating usually, um, usually what it looks like is, uh, there's an initial meeting that, that we kind of have some brainstorming things where I share some of my ideas, what this could look like. And, and they share some of theirs. And then we just schedule a meeting for, uh, either like, you know, a, a, a couple days out, a week out, depending on the timeline. Um, and then that's where they say, okay, this is what I've discovered. Um, this is the actionables that we can implement. And okay. then we just kind of run through it and I say like, okay, I really like this. And I'm like, wait, what if we added this to here? Um, and that's again, another brainstorming session, but ultimately I try to give as much ownership and decision, uh, making a power to the people who are, are spearheading certain projects. I like that idea because I think, well, I know I'm doing that with my team, but I'm not articulating it the way you said it. So hmm. I think if I... Um, articulate it more. It's like I'm doing it, but not really telling them I'm I'm doing it. But I think mm -hmm. if I actually say, let's talk about this, you have a couple of days, we're going to come back and I want you to tell me. Yeah. I, I actually try sure. not to make decisions, honestly. Like I try to come to decisions with other people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, a, that, that I really enjoy that leadership style. I think it's a more empathetic leadership style. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think it's one that actually fosters more creativity and ideas. Obviously it's not going to work for every industry, but especially Especially if you're in a creative one, I think yeah. that is one of the strongest leadership styles. I like that because I just realized I had an aha. I'm doing that, but I'm not saying I'm doing that. Mm. I'm like energetically coming in, like I'm making the choice, the last decision, but really we're doing it together. But I think actually lifting them up and saying, you know, this is a collaborative effort. Yeah. And recognizing when it's their idea, because a lot of the ideas are are theirs yes. and uh, and not not feeling the need because you want to be the leader to say like, oh, this idea is mine and this is mine and this is my work. Yeah. Like I think giving is uh, I think part of leadership is giving away as much um, ownership to people as possible yeah. and, and not worrying uh, about like, like not being insecure about people thinking, oh, like you're not doing anything. Like, yes. you're, like you just, I, I think that it's a much better way to like, just like give that ownership away. Um, and, uh, and the, the reward is awesome. I'm such a recovering, like control freak. <laughs> so many years ago I was, I, I, cause I thought that's what a leader had to do. You know, mm -hmm. I bought that lie and that was the little thing. Now I'm just like, yeah, go ahead, take it over. But I like <laughs> how you said like articulate it. Okay. I'm going to take that with me. Any last things that you want to add in? That somebody that's listening that has a business because this was really helpful for me. Last yeah, wisdom. I think again, just going back to that idea of consistency. If you're starting out, build processes for consistency. Don't just expect yourself to like 
uh, magically be more consistent or or like change your personality. You have to build processes, and I think processes are what make successful people and and differentiate success from from just an idea and from execution from just an idea. Well, on that, Samuel, how long did it take you to get momentum on your business? I mean, like I, it, it just it, it's there, there's different aspects of it, right? Like if if you're talking about you know producing content it, it it took like a few months to get you know momentum behind actually making you know ma making uh content each week um if you're talking about interviewing really amazing people like that took uh maybe like six months mm -hmm. um but if you're talking about monetization that probably took like a year mm -hmm. um and then if you're talking about like being a known figure within like the space like i feel like that's happening you know, right now, like recently yeah. I got asked to host a show for Wondery, right? So like, that's like a, that, 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 that's, that's an example of, okay, like there's different momentum for different parts of the process and recognizing that, that, that there is momentum at all parts of the process. You shouldn't just be focusing on like one subsection of that. Um, because then you can maybe get a little bit demoralized if you're saying like, oh, I need momentum in the monetary sense right now. There are other, there's so many things that lead up to that. Um, that I think should be your focus is before maybe um, monetary success. So true, because I think a lot of people, or at least girlfriends of mine or friends that are want to make a transition, maybe leave corporate or do something of that nature, and they think it's going to be right away. And I'm like, are you ready to be consistent? And let's yeah. go. <laughs> For a long time, too. <laughs> For a long time, right? And I am rebuilding and rebuilding how many businesses. And each one, it's like, it's just like you're giving birth and you want that kid <laughs> right away to like run and go to college. And they're like, the kid can barely, you know, just sit up. <laughs> Has to grow. <laughs> yeah, the poor kid was just born yesterday. Yeah, totally see it that way. Samuel, thank you so much for spending time with me. This was really, really informative. Where can everybody find you? And again, the podcast, if they want to listen to you. Yeah, so uh, Finding Founders is everywhere that uh, you can find podcasts. We also have a website, findingfounders.co. And if you are on Clubhouse or if you are on uh, Zoom, actually, if you're on Clubhouse, just uh, follow me at Samuel Donner. We have an event today, 6 to 8 p.m. If you want to RSVP for that, you could go to our website, findingfounders.co, and go to the events tab on that uh, and RSVP. But again, we're on Zoom. We're going to be on Zoom and uh, Clubhouse for that event tonight, 6 p.m. PST. For Clubhouse, are you there uh, certain days or something like that? Do you have a schedule? Uh, we're building out a schedule. So it's like a weekly right now, but not a, a strict weekly. But we're going to be doing events probably every month. So maybe the first Tuesday of every month um, uh, on Clubhouse at 6 I love PM. that. Yes, I'm going to check that out about biohacking tonight. Yeah, yeah definitely really do. Cool. Are you hacking the audio as well for us that miss it? On Clubhouse. Uh, yes. So I'll probably be recording it over Zoom and might release yes. it on our podcast feed yeah. uh, probably the day after or something like that. Okay. We'll definitely check that out. Sweet. Samuel Donner, thank you so much from Finding Founders. Appreciate you. And remember, everybody, to get back up. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode and know of another girl who can benefit from this message, please share it with your girlfriends and tag me on Instagram at Joanna Vargas Official. I love your DMs. Also, I would be honored if you'd take 30 seconds and give the Get Up Girl a five-star review. I appreciate and love you all. And remember, girl, to get up and live fully.